This is The Wall Street Skinny, a podcast devoted to exploring the financial services industry and making the world of Wall Street accessible to everyone. Hey guys, welcome back to The Wall Street Skinny. Today, we have a great episode for you following up on our last episode where we touched a little bit on what exactly we are talking about when we say Wall Street, meaning what is an investment bank, how is it different from a commercial bank, and what kind of services does it actually offer? We also talked a little bit about why we both decided to get into the financial services industry, and we tried to give you a sense of a little bit of what that journey looked like for us. Yeah, and spoiler alert, if you missed that episode, neither of us had any clue really about how (laughs) Wall Street worked And we had minimal interest in finance uh, before we got into the field. We both came from liberal arts and engineering backgrounds, and our convoluted paths eventually led us to careers in finance. Right. So, you know, maybe our journey looks a little like yours. Maybe you're coming from a totally different perspective. And maybe you have no interest in ever working on Wall Street, and you're just curious (laughs) to learn more. Either way, we are here to meet you exactly where you are and help you understand this world a little bit better. Yes. But before we go further, we do want to address one thing we've talked about offline with a few people. So a friend of ours asked, how can two white girls who graduated from Ivy League universities try to make the world of finance more inclusive? And so we do want to be very clear here. We totally acknowledge that we came from a place of privilege, Mm -hmm. and it definitely was a lot easier for us to break into the industry as a result. And so we are very aware of how challenging and intimidating it can be for people who don't have the resources that we did. And that's exactly what our goal is. It's to use our knowledge and our experience in order to open this up to everybody, regardless of where you're starting from. And so along those lines, in today's episode, we are asking the question, who is the right type of person to go into this industry? And again, spoiler alert, it may not be who you think, right? We're trying to explore what are the personality traits, the innate talents, and the skill sets, both technical and soft skills, by the way, that make Mm -hmm. someone a good fit. And then which roles might be a good fit for and appeal most to you, you know? But in order to figure that out, you first need to have an idea of what it means to be a finance professional. Mm -hmm. And before I entered the industry, I had absolutely no idea. I mean- I'm sure, as you guys can imagine, there's a historical set of people everyone has always thought of as being the right candidates for this job. I mean, I certainly thought that. But Mm -hmm. today, that actually bears very little resemblance to reality. Yeah, totally. But I mean, it's funny because I the vision I had in my head of a quote unquote banker was literally the bank teller that I joked about (laughs) last week, especially coming from a home where no one was involved in finance. I mean, I grew up watching movies like Wall Street and Trading Places. And, you know, those actually both spoke to this for an earlier generation and showed just how deeply entrenched in our cultural psyche these stereotypes of Wall Street being only reserved for highly educated, wealthy white men were. Yeah. I mean, actually, it's so funny because you've always been the person I go to for recommendations on TV shows and movies. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I have never watched either of those movies before. Okay, well, this is your homework, little grasshopper. And and guys, now we're going to have to do like a movie review on both of those to see like a how they've aged, which is likely very poorly. And B, how accurate they are to today's version of the industry, which I, I sincerely I mean, I really think it's different. Right. No, I'm I'm excited to watch those, uh, which is after I catch up on my trash reality TV. <laughs> I've actually not watched this episode of VPR, but OK, 
It is no secret that historically there was definitely truth to the idea that this was a field dominated by white men. But look, if you are a white man listening to this, this isn't a knock on you. You are perfectly welcome here. Everyone is welcome here. What we are saying, though, is that these types of stereotypes are more a reflection of the industry historically being less inclusive than it is starting to be today. Yeah. And so while you'll still encounter a ton of those men who fit those old tropes in the industry, so some people uh, call them finance bros. bros. The reality, I know, <laughs> the reality is that most firms across the street are definitely eager to welcome people from all backgrounds. Yes. And we don't just mean in terms of physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. There's so much more data to support that some of the most successful participants in the industry, they don't fit that sort of wolf of Wall Street stereotype. Yes, right. I mean, the biggest distinction is that Fitting that old bill of being, you know, a straight white guy from an elite educational institution, that's no longer the criteria for entry into this world. Checking those boxes is simply no longer necessary to get a foot in the door. You might fit that bill, but that's not going to be the only reason you are getting hired. Instead, I think, I mean, there are so many other factors, so many other elements of who you are that are the truly critical criteria for making you a successful candidate. I mean, Kristen, you have 13 years of experience teaching newly minted analysts and associates in their first few weeks on the job. And I think your insight's invaluable here. You know, I mean, so so what kind of background, what what personality traits and what innate talents and skill sets do you think line you up for success in this industry? Yeah, that's such a great question. So I think that the particular skills do vary a little based on the particular job that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, which we're going to get into in more detail in just a minute. But I would say in general, the three main characteristics that will make you successful throughout the financial services industry are integrity, right? Number one, being a hard worker is number two, and attention to detail, which is critically important uh, as as well. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, integrity, I think, is such a big one, right? I mean, Kristen, how many countless headlines have we seen about people in the financial services industry making bad decisions that have Mm -hmm. wide-reaching negative impact. I mean, everyone's heard of like Bernie Madoff, right? That's the thing. When you are so intimately involved with massive sums of money and so much is at stake, when things go wrong, they go really wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of people don't trust bankers. Because when you get the wrong people in the industry, typically it's not just a tiny problem that no one hears about. (laughs) Because of the magnitude of the trades happening or decisions being made, you know, when someone does the wrong thing, it oftentimes impacts tons of innocent people. I mean, good people mess up all the time, but you have to have personal integrity to do the right thing when you make a mistake. Exactly. And listen, having integrity, being a hard worker, and paying attention to details, those are three characteristics that will make you successful in any industry. Mm -hmm. But as you said, because the stakes are so high in finance, a slip-up can come with huge consequences. And so that's why people care so much about, say, you know, the format of a spreadsheet. So bankers are super OCD about format. <laughs> yeah. This is something that when I was teaching analysts, like we were hammering this home. Yes. So take, for example, something that seems super minor, right? So the font color of a number in an Excel spreadsheet. So cells that are hard-coded, and by hard-coded, I mean you are manually typing the value into the cell yourself, those numbers have to be blue. Versus a cell that is a calculation, meaning the number is calculated from other information in the spreadsheet, the font color of those has to be black. Right. And people right, right. are obsessive about this. 
And yes, sure, from an outside perspective, right, not using the right font color for your inputs might not seem like such a big deal. But when your clients lose millions of dollars because someone hard-coded something in a spreadsheet and kept it black, so you thought it was a calculation, but it's really a hard-coded number, you are going to care. Right. Your clients or you might lose millions of dollars, right? If on Mm -hmm. the trading, uh, 100%. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's drill down into the specific requirements then of the different divisions in the bank to start to speak to what natural talents or skills might make you better suited for success in that particular role. Now, if you remember in our last episode, we talked about the two main divisions of the bank as being the investment banking division, IBD, Mm -hmm. and the sales and trading division. And as a friendly reminder, Kristen is going to be our resident investment banking division expert, and I will handle sales and trading simply because those are the divisions that we each worked in when we were at the bank. Right, right, right. So, okay. So from our last episode, you might remember the investment banking division is the side of the bank where you are providing advisory services. So advice to big corporations for strategic events. So buying companies or raising funds. So raising equity or debt capital, things like that. And guys, because we want to make sure that no one is left behind here on these concepts, capital is just another word for money. Right. So when we talk about equity capital, That is money that the company gets from people giving that company cash in exchange for an ownership stake in the company. So if you buy a share of Apple stock, for example, you now own a tiny little piece of the company. You are not expecting Apple to repay you that cash like you would for, say, a loan, Mm -hmm. but you can sell that to someone else. So if the stock does well, you can sell it for more than you bought it for. And of course, the downside of having an Mm -hmm. equity stake in a company Mm -hmm. is that if the company goes bankrupt, your investment is completely wiped out. Right. Yes, uh, absolutely. But debt, on the other hand, is just a blanket term for borrowed money. So when we talk about debt capital, we mean money that a company gets from borrowing it from other sources. So just like if you have student loans, you borrowed the money to pay for college, and then you pay interest on it, and you eventually will repay it at some time in the future. Maybe. Hopefully. Who knows? (laughs) Right. Yes, Um, yes. But right. But one point is, as a debt holder, you don't participate as directly in the upside if the company does well as an Mm -hmm. equity holder. But Mm -hmm. you don't lose as much if the company does badly. So if the company you loan money to goes bankrupt, you might be able to recoup some portion of your investment. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. So back to our criteria for success. I would say the number one criteria for success in this division is being good with math. Wait, hang hang on, Kristen. I would say Mm -hmm. that is equally important in sales and trading. Right. Okay. that is true. That is fair. But let's break this down a little bit. So the kind of math I'm talking about is taking big strategic ideas Mm -hmm. and breaking them down mathematically. Mm. Like, hey, one company is going to buy another. And so what do their combined earnings look like? So for example, right, let's take when Amazon bought Whole Foods. And by the way, I will probably use this example a lot because those are the two companies that get the majority of my money. Uh, I'm well aware. Uh, Same here. And by the way, guys, nearly all of our business startup expenses can be categorized as like Amazon purchases. Yes. I, I am glad, though, that we finally ordered those $125 whiteboards. But anyway, <laughs> back to Amazon. Out. I know, right? So when Amazon bought Whole Foods, they used cash that they raised by borrowing money, again, by raising debt in the capital markets. And so as a banker, what you would then do is project out what the combined business, so what the earnings from the combined business looks like going forward, and then try to understand how that affects a company's share price. 
Hmm. And so you need to have the kind of mind that can break down that high-level concept into these micro-components, evaluation, and fit all of the moving pieces together in a concise model that spits out numbers that then inform the direction of the strategy. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you are going from a high-level concept and using math to break it down. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny because I would actually say that the role of math in sales and trading is almost the opposite. You need to be able to analyze massive amounts of data across a variety of sources. Like, okay, for example, watching bond prices go up and down, watching the relationship of one bond price moving relative to another, listening to information from you know a cacophony of mm-hmm. news sources, watching the foreign exchange markets, watching the equity markets, taking all of that data and synthesizing it into one concrete idea. Like as a result of all this information that I've processed, I now as a trader should go buy or sell XYZ in ABC amount. Right. And and, and again, guys, we are not trying to bury you in jargon here. So please stay tuned on our social media as well as in future episodes um, where we will be breaking down um, all of this terminology that we just referenced. But the point is that A, you need math across both divisions. And B, the applications of the math are equally important. So IBD is more using math to break down big concepts, and sales and trading tends to be more deriving big concepts from math. And let's be clear, you know, I'm going to talk about this in a little Q&A video online, but, you know, the level of math that you are likely to use on a day-to-day basis is really typically nothing more complex than algebra or arithmetic. Mm-hmm. You will just need to be fast with those numbers and comfortable with them. And you need to get the answer right all the time. Like when I first started, I literally, this is embarrassing, but I literally made myself flashcards and had my poor roommate, Laura, quizzing me on increasing and decreasing numeric sizes by factors of 10. I mean, and and that sounds crazy, but the ability to quickly be able to process what one-tenth of 1% is on Mm -hmm. a, a billion or 10 billion is something I mean, I certainly didn't learn to do that in college when I was reading, you know, (laughs) Kafka, right? I I had to do the reps to build this skill. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. But now so that we've established that you're going to be working with numbers, no matter what you do, let's actually keep going. So back to IBD. The structure of this division is more project-based. So if you are someone who likes to work on something for a long period of time and really get in the weeds Mm -hmm. and obsess over the little details. (laughs) Those skills are going to be something that will serve you very well. So if you've taken college or business school level finance classes, sure, you likely know a decent amount that will help you in this division. But you'll also find that there are a lot of math majors, engineers, science majors who have no knowledge of finance whatsoever starting out, but they end up being very successful in this division because they're used to that methodical process, used to reviewing and analyzing large amounts of data and working on longer-term projects. I know my background in engineering was exactly what made me good in banking. Mm -hmm. Um, So some aspects of the investment banking division might also appeal to people from the humanities, which may surprise you, but working with corporations, like we said, you need to understand how all this math translates into the bigger picture. So a narrative, a pitch, You might not love being an analyst and grinding through a spreadsheet, 
But you might love the idea of helping a company figure out a strategy for buying another company. Mm -hmm. So we talk a lot about succession here. And I mean, come on, uh, (laughs) you do not need to be interested in the nitty gritty of finance to find the stories of companies making these huge strategic decisions totally captivating. It's dramatic. I mean, as someone coming from a liberal arts background myself, right, I was an English major. This is actually what I thought I'd be interested in, like Mm. figuring out the story Mm. with a company, right? But you don't get to spend as much time in that headspace at the beginning of your career Mm -hmm. in the investment banking division as you do later on in your career when the soft skills and the client relationships, when all that moves more to the forefront. Right. Yeah, that, that's so true. As, as an analyst, you are much more in the spreadsheets. And as you get more senior in the banking division, it is much more of a, of a sales role. But I personally, I loved building models because, you know, you were thinking about what is the best way to build or create something to recreate this real life scenario. And it felt like for me, I got to be creative while also building something, which, you know, the engineer in me really liked. Oh, well, more power to you. But no, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, Okay, so listen, this gets to a broader point, which is you have to like the lifestyle. And by lifestyle, look, we don't mean the bullshit of I want to work in banking so I can afford a nice watch or a fancy dinner. Uh, I mean, (laughs) or even just pay my rent in New York City. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Squeak by paying rent. But um, (laughs) let's break down what the actual day to day looks like uh, a little bit more. So a typical investment banking analyst or an associate is going to get into the office probably around 9 Mm a.m. and may very easily end up working late into the hours of the evening, like 10, 11, even midnight. And I want to explain why. So because you're working on a project with a team, like let's say you're doing, you know, back to Amazon, uh, you are pitching a potential acquisition. You might be the banker who's helping them figure out what the impact would be of that deal. So you as a junior person on the team, you are responsible for the Excel model and the PowerPoint slides. You are not, however, the person who is responsible for the holistic strategy just yet. Mm -hmm. But so you get into the office, right? So say 9 a.m. And there's a couple of possibilities here. Maybe you are in the middle of a live deal. So things are crazy from the minute you get into the office and you have a ton of emails waiting for you that you are scrambling to answer and deliverables you need to immediately start hacking away at. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're waiting to be staffed on a new deal because all of your current deals are quiet. So you walk in and you might end up twiddling your thumbs, waiting for someone to need you. It's kind of like an ER doctor. So, you know, on Grey's Anatomy, right? There's the dreaded curse that the triage room is quiet, right? You know, I love Grey's. But I know, me too. But pretend at, say, like 1030, a senior banker has a call with the client and that generates the need for a specific type of analysis. That request will come down the chain to you and you'll start jamming on that spreadsheet. You'll work a few hours on that, and then maybe you send it back up the chain for your third-year analyst to review the numbers. They'll identify a mistake. They send it back down to you to correct. And eventually, that gets put into a PowerPoint presentation. And Mm. you spend all the while formatting that, sending it up the chain and back down the chain, right? There are tons of inefficiencies in this timeline because you're waiting on inputs and pieces Mm -hmm. of information from other people from the team. And so maybe the client is going to announce earnings, but you can't do anything until that happens. Or research is going to be updating forecasts, which is necessary for some analysis. Uh, Or maybe you need to hear back from the capital markets desk because you need the interest rate piece or the borrowing cost. So there's just a ton of hurry up and wait in this process. Oh my gosh, yes. So during my 
brief stint in the joint venture between sales and trading and banking that I started my career in. I mean, I remember literally waiting for a senior banker to review <laughs> something. And, you know, all they had to do was like get us two notes on something. I, mm -hmm. I was just sitting there watching the clock, wilting away as my hopes of, you know, working out and going out to dinner. Right. Or, you know, more realistically, I guess, like ordering Chinese and <laughs> watching The Real Housewives. But, you know, those hopes of having like a life or getting to bed early just just melted yeah. away. Right. It would be like 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. It was brutal. And and mm -hmm. this wasn't just once. Right. This happens all the time. Yep. Yeah. So when you're on and it's your turn to deliver, you need to be extremely fast and efficient in delivering accurate information and delivering an Excel spreadsheet or a PowerPoint presentation that is perfectly formatted with all the numbers 100,000% correct. So speed, accuracy, attention to detail cannot be overstated enough. And as you get to know me better and you follow us on social media, you'll see that my precision and speed in Excel are something I'm very passionate about. So starting out in banking, you might have used Excel before, but it wasn't so vital to your performance in your career. It is the tool you use above all others, though, when you are first starting out. Mm -hmm. I would say followed second by PowerPoint. Yeah. And in banking, you know, you're building these large comprehensive models for various components of the deal, and the responsibility for that model lies with the most junior people on the deal. Mm -hmm. And so remember, you're in the weeds, right? You're not doing that big picture stuff. And as such, the things that don't matter to most people, ranging from minor formatting details, right, to how quickly you can accomplish a certain task and the mm -hmm. accuracy of your numbers, they are so critically important to this job. And so I gave an example earlier about having inputs being blue. But in banking, Excel is like its own language that people mm -hmm. derive a deep pride from learning. And so everyone kind of worships the third-year analyst who has so much muscle memory deeply ingrained in their fingertips with all these Excel shortcuts. It's literally like watching, you know, a master pianist, right, like <laughs> perform a masterpiece. And so if you guys get to know me, though, the thought of using a mouse to navigate on my computer, it literally is the most abhorrent thing. It crushes my soul. And so your ability to learn and master Excel and be fast at it and always have your numbers right the first time are really invaluable when you're a junior person on the team. And so what's so cool then is seeing your hard work in Excel translate into a huge deal that is splashed across the front page of like every newspaper in the country uh, and is also obviously generating the fees to the bank, which then translated to the compensation for you. Right, right, right. So cool. Okay, got it. So to recap, you have to be patient, both kind of mm -hmm. intraday mm -hmm. and over a long project timeline, right? You yes. have to be comfortable with math, like we said. And you have to be super detail-oriented and kind of like an Excel ninja. Yes. Yes. We, we do joke about being an Excel ninja, but uh, <laughs> absolutely. So these skills, right, they will, of course, serve you well if you decide to pursue a role in sales and trading, too. But, um, Jen, I think you can actually speak a little more to a day in the life of that division, as well as the specific skills that will generally contribute to you enjoying the career more and setting you up for success. Well, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, if we go back to that list we just talked about, patience is not my thing. I operate much better in high pressure, tight timeline environments. Like I excel under pressure and within like a firm structure. And I really flounder when I'm given like too much time to mess around, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so what this means in my day-to-day -day life is that I am a terrible procrastinator. If you give me a deadline that is like a week out for something mm -hmm. that I know takes me three hours to do, I will not start the project until two hours and 59 minutes before the due mm -hmm. date 
because I thrive in that environment. Okay, so this is, again, not the most useful life skill. And I am definitely not suggesting that being a procrastinator is a positive character trait. But if you are someone who works well under very high pressure and at a very fast pace, then sales and trading is likely a better fit for you and going to appeal to you more than investment banking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let, let's break down the lifestyle in sales and trading. Sorry, actually, Jed, before you get to that, can we actually touch on what are some of the basics that happen in the sales and trading division? So I'm not kidding at all when I say I still don't have a great understanding of what exactly salespeople or traders do, uh, despite the fact that that's actually where I started my career. And I was on the floor for like a few months. But so if you could sort of get into that, I think that would really help. Absolutely. We are all learning here. Okay. <laughs> so remember earlier, Kristen, you spoke about equity right? Mm -hmm. Equity and debt can be traded in the public market as little packages called securities. So again, equity means individual shares of ownership in companies that can be bought and sold. Right. And actually, sorry, I'm just going to jump in and say, so kind of like that Apple stock I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or if you're following what's going on with like the NASDAQ or the S&P, the sort of quote unquote market that people tend to talk about, that is the equities market. Right. Exactly. And then there's loans, which can be packaged into things called bonds. And a bond is just evidence of a loan. And those bonds can be bought and sold by people who aren't the original investor or borrower in the loan itself. Yep. Yep. And and actually, if you've been hearing in the news, this whole debt ceiling crisis that's looming, uh, it's because the U.S. government right borrowed a lot of money in the form of treasuries. And so now we have to raise the limit on how much they can borrow so they can pay for things like interest on the debt we already borrowed, <laughs> other you know activities needed to keep the government running. Et oh, cetera, just et minor details. Yeah, minor. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, right. So if the U.S. government or a company borrows money, that loan is packaged as a bond. And you, as the owner of the bond, are basically stepping into the shoes of a lender. You are forking over cash for the security. And now you are the one receiving those interest payments, which we call coupons, for as long as you own it. And cash flows from those loans, those bonds, can be stripped off and bought and sold. And then there's an entire derivatives market that exists, which synthetically allows buyers and sellers to replicate the cash flows of these instruments without needing to use their balance sheet, which is... Another thing we'll talk about in yeah. later detail uh, to yes. hold the actual securities themselves. I'm trying not to get ahead yeah. of ourselves too much here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This whole stuff, this is this is confusing. And so again, this is where we're going to continue to build out episodes on this stuff and, you know, create some videos for you guys. And I mean, I, I actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But sorry, I'll let you keep going. No, 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 you're fine. I'm really excited to teach you guys derivatives. They are actually so easy once you understand and get the basic concepts down. I'm, I'm super pumped to nerd out with you in case you can't tell. Uh, But okay, so in the sales and trading division, the bank facilitates access to the public markets, again, typically the equity market and the debt market, for institutional, meaning large corporations, investment managers, pension funds, insurance companies, large institutional players, so that when they want to buy or sell securities or enter into derivative transactions, someone is there to take the other side, right? There isn't always a buyer for every seller. So the bank steps in, takes risks, and makes markets to facilitate these transactions. And the bank primarily makes money in two ways. A, by charging you on the way into and out of each of these purchases and sales. And B, by holding some risk on their books and keeping some positions strategically. Okay, so what's a day in the life like? Typically, 
you know, again, I was an interest rate salesperson, right? So typically you get in around 6.30 in the morning when the markets open, in quotes, right? This is kind of a misnomer because the markets are always open somewhere. So depending mm-hmm. on what's going on in the world during normal business hours in Tokyo or London, you in New York City might walk into a house on fire at 6.31 in the morning because something crazy happened overnight. Maybe one of the governors of the Federal Reserve gave an interview that was published in the Wall Street Journal where they said they were likely to consider raising rates at their next meeting. And and maybe this was something the market totally wasn't anticipating. Global financial markets will react to this information in various ways. And that will impact what both the firm and its clients need to do. You have to now, having just walked into the office, quickly (laughs) get up to speed on exactly what information or events happened overnight. Look at all these changes in various markets, meaning, okay, are prices of things up or down? What about this one security and its price relative to something else? Things that are highly correlated or not correlated at all, how are they moving? If I'm trading, say, mortgages, right? You know, I really care about whether interest rates set by the Federal Reserve are rising or falling because the two are deeply connected, highly correlated instruments. And then once you have processed this information, You now need to then, one, decide what that information means, and two, either communicate if you are in sales or act upon if you are in trading that information. We we talked earlier about, Kristen, you in the investment banking division, you used math to explain big concepts. You know, Mm -hmm. I think in sales and trading, the way you use math is more like like seeing the matrix, you know, like looking at all these inputs from all of these different sources and then distilling this massive amount of information down to the fundamental decision of, okay, do I buy something in the case of our trader, right? Or does my client buy something in the case of a salesperson Mm -hmm. or do I sell it? And, you Mm -hmm. know, because things are constantly changing and moving, you may need to do all of this in a matter of seconds. You or your clients can make or lose millions of dollars between 6.31 and 7 o'clock in the morning. This is a lot of pressure that you need to be able to handle calmly and effectively over oftentimes very small spans of time. Trades can happen in a fraction of a second. Wow. That that sounds actually pretty crazy. Uh, I I don't know if I could have handled that. Um, So- what are some of the responsibilities of someone who is just starting out in this environment? Uh, and, and, you know, besides being good under pressure, you know, what other skills or personality traits do you need to have? Well, you know, again, like I said, when I was in sales and trading, I was in interest rate sales. My clients were, you know, some of the world's biggest asset managers and hedge funds and mortgage servicers, bank portfolios, insurance companies, whatever. But it's not like they were calling me. And being like, hey, Jen, you're, you know, barely legal to drink. How should I allocate a billion dollars today? Right. My first role was confirming and booking trades. So when a trade would happen, right, my senior salesperson on the desk would be standing there with literally a phone in each ear and not like a cell phone, like a old landline phone in each ear, one phone with the client, one phone with the trader. And again, let's say in this example where, you know, we've got our Fed governor who's saying the Fed might be unexpectedly raising rates, right? We'll explain this in more detail, but Generally speaking, rates rising (laughs) means lower prices for outstanding debt securities. And so let's say in this example that our client decides, based on this information, to sell some bonds. He or she calls the senior salesperson, asks, where can I sell 100 million of XYZ bonds? Salesperson asks where the trader would sell them to him or her. They might go back and forth for a while, but pretty quickly they agree on a price. 
and everyone says the magic word, done. And so that's it? No, no, no. Just because you say a magic word doesn't somehow cause securities to then teleport from one place to another, right? There is now this secret army of people across the street who make sure that this trade is actually formalized. And as a junior person at the bank, the first thing you do is you write a confirmation to the client who just executed the trade. Mm. Literally a little recap saying, hey, you, you (laughs) sold this number of that bond at this price. And then you then engage with an electronic system where you enter in the details of this trade. And that sets the wheels in motion for middle and back office. These are entire teams of people supporting you to actually initiate those cash flows and securities contracts trade hands. And by the way, much of this now happens electronically. I'm using kind of an older example to illustrate this. Um, But there is some combination of trades happening electronically and some combination of trades happening voice, which is what I just walked you through an example of. Um, Got it. But so, you know, listen, where attention to detail might serve you very well across the board in the investment banking division, I would say in sales and trading, it's the ability to weaponize your attention to detail quickly to effectively Mm -hmm. multitask and still be accurate. You might do something like this that I just described a hundred times a day, often like simultaneously. And you need to get all of this information right 100% of the time. I mean, Kristen, to this day, I'm still traumatized by this. I will never forget. Mm -hmm. Literally a few days after joining the desk, I sent a trade comp firm for one client to the wrong client. There were no. two hedge funds with very similar names back in the day. No. I literally hand-delivered information on a silver platter to one hedge fund about the giant strategic trade another competing oh. hedge fund was doing. Oh, my God. Jen, that sounds like my worst nightmare. I mean, thank God. This is where speediness under pressure also comes in handy. Like, thank God for the retract button on Bloomberg. Like, no one at the wrong hedge fund ever even saw the message. But, oh, but more importantly, you know, an example like this reinforces how that first trait we talked about, integrity, that really comes mm-hmm. into play as well. Because, listen, the second I realized I made a mistake, I like, I like notified a grown-up, you know, I immediately went <laughs> to my senior salesperson and let him know so that, God forbid, he needed to do damage control, we could tackle it quickly, right? If I had just covered right. it up and be like, maybe no, we'll figure it out, like, there <laughs> could have been a catastrophic outcome. Um, but, you know, it's funny because... Because something like this also speaks to the strength of liking structure. You know, I loved the fact that there was almost this like military style structure on the trading floor. And, you know, it's funny because it it exists kind of like the same way the chain of command exists on a boat, right? Like the Mm -hmm. stakes are so, so, so high. So you need to know who is in charge and who is responsible for every single element as you go. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want like hours on end to think about things freely and like noodle on an idea quietly in a corner. Like this is not the place (laughs) for you. Anyway, so yeah, so you're repeating processes like this throughout the day, just rinsing and repeating the cycle of discussing market moving events with clients. You're exploring trade ideas, you're executing trades, you're booking trades, and again, starting all over. And then, you know, everyone does that to dinner. I mean, I'm, I'm kidding, but like, You know, the time not spent directly related to the markets is spent building trust and deepening relationships with their clients so that you are the one who they're calling for all this, right? Right. And and again, this is just the perspective of a salesperson, by the way. Within the sales and trading arm, the day-to-day varies between Mm -hmm. salespeople, traders. Again, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. And then researchers who are doing something totally different. (laughs) Right. Okay. So I got it. Um, 
All right. So taking everything you've just said in describing the sales and trading arm, I guess just summarize the characteristics that make someone successful in that kind of environment. Are you, A, you mm-hmm. need to be high energy. Oh, B, yeah. you need to be cool under pressure. And mm-hmm. C, you need to have the ability to think fast on your feet. Mm-hmm. And so I guess if you had to sum it up, though, quickly, knowing that we are going to do an entire episode on the lifestyle and the nitty gritty of sales and trading, what do you think are the most important attributes for a trader versus a salesperson? Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to dig into this in detail and the episode we have planned for you guys. But but yeah, I think specifically as a trader, you need to be able to not panic and stay calm <laughs> no matter what is happening. So, you know, depending on the product you trade, you might encounter massive swings in how much money you are making or losing on any given day. And reacting to those changes emotionally can oftentimes, you know, lead to disaster. So Mm -hmm. setting deliberate levels of gains or losses, you know, which we call stop out levels, basically, and Mm -hmm. sticking to them can be your best friend. Letting emotions cloud that process, I'm telling you, it leads to disaster. Got it. Um, And what about in sales? You know, in sales... I think the most important thing I think you need to be able to do is build trust. You build trust by paying attention, by listening to people, you know, by advocating for their interests and doing the right thing, right? If clients don't trust you, you could be the smartest person in the world, but they are simply never going to pick up the phone and call you, period, full stop. (laughs) Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. But, oh, okay, guys, I know this has been a lot of information. Yeah, this is our longest episode so far. Yeah. But so here's what we're going to do in the next two episodes. Mm -hmm. So now that we have established some very basic concepts and given you a little bit of a peek into the lifestyle, we're going to do a deep dive one episode each into the investment banking division and a second into the sales and trading division. Yeah. So what we're going to try to do is walk you through the life cycle of how a client or, or clients would interact with all sides of the bank, starting with the investment bank and then working our way through to the sales and trading division. And, you know, I personally think this is the easiest way to understand things because we can use concrete examples to illustrate some of the more complex financial concepts that we are, you know, just starting to touch on. Right. And and speaking of illustrating those complex financial concepts, uh, we have started posting videos on our social media explaining yeah. some of those concepts. So those are going to be organized into a finance 101, Q&A, soft skills, uh, and career navigation advice. And mm-hmm. we would love your feedback on these videos so we can improve on them. Yes. Please be nice. All constructive yes. criticism is welcome. <laughs> Just yes. please, no trolls. Um, no, but yeah, no. And in case you guys missed it on our Instagram, we have launched an email address where you can submit questions that you'd like us to answer. And we're going to have a dedicated Q&A section on our uh, upcoming, uh, still in the works, YouTube channel. Right. If, if you search are... for it, you're not going to find it yet. Oh, my God. Don't <laughs> search yet, aware. guys. Like, don't tight. search. Um, yes. Yeah. But, but uh, we are going to tackle any questions there that we don't address directly on our podcast here, okay? And, and, you know, we'll be answering a lot of your questions on social media. The email address is questions at wallstreetskinny.com. Again, it's questions, like with an S, at wallstreetskinny.com, not the Wall Street Skinny. Questions at wallstreetskinny.com. Email us there. We want to tackle all of your questions. Okay, guys, we promise. Yep. And so stay tuned next week for our deep dive into the investment banking division. And please follow us at The Wall Street Skinny. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for listening to The Wall Street Skinny. We are more than just a podcast. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at The Wall Street Skinny. If you're a visual learner, we have content that will help get you up the curve 
from valuation to Excel to bond fundamentals 101. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we will be publishing in-depth tutorials on all this and more. 